This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome back to the Cherry Pickin' Podcast featuring Andre Cherry Pickin' Cherry, Philadelphia's favorite college football mind. Throw me the ball and watch what I do with it. You are now tuned in to the Cherry Pickin' Podcast with your host, Andre Cherry. Hey everybody, thank you for downloading another episode of the Cherry Picking Podcast. I'm your host, Andre Cherry, and I'm excited to be on the mic again. It's been about a week or so since I last had a podcast. Maybe it's been two weeks. And so I'm excited to get back on the mic. I'm excited to talk a little bit of the Last Dance documentary. The final episodes of the doc series wrapped up this past weekend. And so I have some thoughts on that that I want to dive into with you all. I also have my good buddy, Casey Kane. He'll join me on this podcast as well. He'll share his thoughts about the documentary series. So I'm excited to dive in to this episode, which will feature all things specific to The Last Dance. There's been some movement and there's been some news in regards to colleges possibly reopening um, early this summer and ending in Thanksgiving. So there's a little bit of hope that maybe things will be getting back to normal or a new version of normal some point soon. What does that mean for college football? Will we have that back this fall? It seems like things are pointing towards a favorable favorable direction if you are a college football fan and you are wanting to have college football action this fall. I won't talk about that on this podcast, but maybe on a future podcast we'll get into it as things are still developing rapidly around contingency plans and things that universities are trying to do to ensure that they can have a student body on campus and then what they can do to mitigate any future risk of a second wave of this pandemic. So it really is exciting stuff and I will get into it on another podcast. But for today, I would like to finish off the Last Dance documentary and talk about episodes 9 and 10 and just my overall thoughts about the series, which I really have enjoyed watching every Sunday for the last five weeks. So now I have to figure out what am I going to do with myself from 9 to 11 every Sunday. But we'll dive right in. And so part nine of the documentary series talked about the Eastern Conference Finals and the Indiana Pacers and most particularly Reggie Miller. Reggie Miller was a, a very good player for the Pacers back in the 90s. He was always a thorn in Chicago's side in terms of providing great competition. Uh, Reggie Miller and his Pacers would always be competitive. And so we saw the Eastern Conference Finals in 98 and how down to the wire it came and how much of a a thorn Reggie Miller was to the Chicago Bulls. And my thoughts about Reggie Miller, if I'm being honest, Steph Curry reminds me a lot of Reggie Miller. And not just because they're two light-skinned brothers, but Reggie Miller, to me, when I was a little kid, He was just annoying. He was annoying. He was pesky. He seemed like a little brother type that would get under your skin. And certainly I don't have any younger brothers, but I have younger sisters. And so they just, you know, God bless them. You love, you know, I love my sisters. I love my family. I'm sure you love your siblings, but there's just a dynamic there when you have a little brother or a little sister trying to come up to your level. And they're, you know, they, they, 
certainly probably have admiration and a lot of respect for you, but the way that Reggie Miller played back in the 90s just remind me of like a little brother type that I can do. I'm MJ. I'm going to do what I got to do. I'm going to be the superstar that everyone loves. But Reggie Miller, you know, gritty, determined, just as confident as Michael Jordan. Um, And I think that was discussed on the documentary series. Reggie Miller had a lot of confidence. He knew what he could do. And he just, as a kid growing up in the 90s, a Chicago Bulls fan, Reggie Miller just always got on my nerves. I just, I did not like that dude. I see a little bit of Reggie Miller in Steph Curry. Steph Curry knows he's good. Steph Curry knows that he is one of the best players the league has ever seen. But the way Curry conducts himself on the court sometimes just gets under my skin. And he's been a lot better recently, but I'm talking like maybe three years ago, four years ago. Curry would, he would always just shoot a shot, a long range shot, and then he would just do some sort of dance or some sort of juke or jive. And it's just like, dude, just shoot the ball and go like Go on defense, but I, I don't need to see all that from you, Steph, because you're too damn good, man. You're too damn good. So I was, in, a, in some ways, maybe I was a little bit of a hater towards Reggie Miller and a, a, a hater towards Steph Curry, but that's just a comparison that I see uh, Steph Curry in Reggie Miller, and it just, the Pacers just would always get under under my skin, and I'm sure the same can be said for avid Chicago Bulls fans from back in that time period, but it was interesting seeing how competitive that series was. And honestly, as a kid and knowing that the Chicago Bulls had Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan, Dennis Rodman, Steve Kerr, like all these legit NBA superstars. As a kid, I never was worried. I never thought that MJ would ever lose. We had Michael Jordan, the best player to play the game in my opinion. And whenever it would come into a situation where it's getting tight down the wire, maybe a game six or whatever the case may be, you I, you always had to bet on the Bulls. You always bet on Michael Jordan because he was a man. He has never, he has never lost a finals before. So why would I fear in that situation that they're going to lose to the Indiana Pacers? I just, I didn't think it would happen. And that was the confidence that I had as a Chicago Bulls fan in the 90s. It's almost the same thing as New England Patriot fans. Like, if they're in the playoffs, chances are chances are good that they're going to come away with the Super Bowl victory. Certainly, we've seen some situations where they've lost the Super Bowl, most notably to the Eagles a few years ago. They lost it, but they're always a favorite. They're always, always the favored team to win a Super Bowl or win a championship. And so it's just that confidence that you have in knowing that you have MJ, the best player in the world. You had Tom Brady, you know, one of the best to ever play the position. So you knew with a player like that, that your chances are better than not, that you're going to come away with the victory. So even though Reggie Miller and the Pacers were annoying and they were pesky, I never legitimately had fear that the Bulls were going to lose. Now, maybe that's a kid thing, having that young confidence. And it, it, you know, maybe if I was an older kid, like a teenager or a, a young adult, maybe I would think differently. But as a young kid, there was never any doubt that the Chicago Bulls wouldn't win another championship. That's just how I felt. I also found it interesting in part nine of the series that they talked about Steve Kerr's father and his Steve Kerr's upbringing. I had no idea Steve Kerr had such a traumatic experience in, in losing his father. Um, who was overseas at the time at American University in, was it in Yemen, I want to say? I had no idea that Steve Kerr's dad 
died that way, got killed, got uh, shot in the head. And that's such a traumatic experience. And he was in college at the time. I think he said he went to Arizona. And so he found out through a a phone call at 3 a.m., an unwanted call at 3 a.m. And I'm sure he... I'm sure if you get a call like that in the middle of the night, you are just, you're dreading it because you don't know what the other person is going to say. And for Steve Kerr, you're hearing the worst news possible that your father died in the way that he died. So I found that really interesting that they spent time to, to talk about Steve Kerr's upbringing because I legitimately had no idea that he had something so traumatic. It makes it even more uh, sweet. I guess it's bittersweet. The fact that it ended the uh, the 97 series finals ended the way it did with Steve Kerr taking that last shot against the Jazz. So such a, a heroic ending for Steve Kerr, the way that he came up in the league, the way that uh, he, he had described that, you know, really there were no schools that wanted him. At the last minute, Arizona had offered, so he, he took the offer without even going to visit the school. He was a basketball player. He lived and breathed it. And so he eventually found his way to the Bulls. And to end the 97 finals the way that he did with that last shot, I mean, that's every kid's dream. Every kid dreams of taking that buzzer-beating shot or that last shot to win the game. And Steve Kerr had that opportunity. MJ gave it to him. MJ believed in him and trusted him. And he took it and he didn't miss. He didn't flinch. He made it. He sunk the shot. And every kid will dreams of that. And the fact that he got to live that dream out playing for the best team at that time, I mean, that's that's got to be an ultimate gift. So I, I found that really interesting. And I, overall, I found it interesting that they spent time on all these players and all these backstories because coming into this series, I thought it legitimately was just going to be about the 98 Bulls, about that entire season. I wasn't expecting all the backstory, all these, these segments on specific players. I mean, I found that really interesting to round out the whole experience of being a Bulls fan. To, to know a little bit more about these players and the backstories, I found it really worthwhile for me. Hopefully the same can be said for you if you weren't a Bulls fan. Hopefully you enjoyed seeing a part of that history from the 90s. But I, I thought it was a really worthwhile experience and I really enjoyed it. And kudos, kudos to ESPN for moving this to April instead of keeping it I think it was going to be in July was the original date for this documentary. So shout out to ESPN for actually giving us what we wanted at a time when we needed it the most. But yeah, part part nine was awesome. I also enjoyed learning a little bit more about the relationship MJ had with his security staff. And it seemed almost like a brotherhood. It seemed like they were really tight knit. And uh, I think it was episode six when it showed MJ and his guards just gambling on uh, rolling. I think they were rolling dice. Or they're they're trying to play like the closest to the wall game, and I don't know the uh, I think the guy's name was Wozniak or something. His last name, the guy that had the uh, the long curly hair, that white guy. I've seen a bunch of memes about that, which I, I found hilarious. Um, I've watched that particular scene probably the most out of this entire documentary. Just seeing the camaraderie that MJ had with the staff, and just you know they're just. Cutting loose for a few minutes. MJ probably had to get ready for practice or probably had to get ready for a game. It's before you know, pregame, and he's just chilling out. They're watching TV, just shooting shooting the breeze, you know? And sometimes as a competitor, as a as a person, you need those small little moments to just take your mind off of things. And this was one of those moments. And it was just uh it, it just found it really endearing uh for me to see MJ like that. In that moment, I thought it was really special. It was funny. It was childish. 
And I, I'm glad that they tied it back in episode nine to show that MJ really had a close knit relationship with these security guys. Like they were his entourage. They provided him advice. They were older than him. They were older men. So he really took a liking to these guys. And so I appreciated seeing that. And he had a really close relationship with one of the security guys. Um, I think he eventually had cancer and he was able to come back for the 98 finals to see MJ and the Bulls play. It just, I thought that was really special. That was really nice. It was unexpected. I, I didn't think that they would spend time on security staff. And at the end of that episode, episode nine, they actually did a, in, in memory of, or in, in remembrance of the three security guys. Because uh, I guess they they all recently died. One of them just died in 2020. A couple others, I think, died in 2019 and then 2018 or something like that. But that that was really special. And that was cool that MJ decided to put that in there. And I'm glad that they spent time on that. I'm Kyle. This is Steven. Together we host a show called Boar Meets World. Tell them what we cover on Boar Meets World. Boy Meets World. But that's not all, is it? No. Now we cover life experiences. Ours. Oh, son of a <laughs> Right, just check out the show, please. We really, <laughs> we really need it. Okay, we need a win. Just check us out. We talk about the show Boy Meets World. Each episode of our show, we run parallel for an episode of Boy Meets World, where we will examine the show. That's way too much. What happens? You know, our life, how it relates to it, experiences. I can't believe you're still recording. I am recording. This. <laughs> check it out, guys. You'll get some hilarious stories from me and Steven from our childhood. You'll get a great... <laughs> ah, I lost it. Want to know what life is really like after the game is all over? Real athletes are here to share their true stories of adversity and triumph every week on After Orange Slices. Even if you don't like sports, pro athletes, former college stars, celebrities, coaches, public speakers, doctors, and all kinds of experts join the show and there's a little bit of something for everybody join me bridget for a slice of inspiration plus your everyday sports news sprinkled in new episodes every friday at 8 a.m pacific standard time available anywhere you get your podcasts so that rounded out part nine of the documentary series part 10 was cool because it was on the nba finals uh, 1998 nba finals and at one point the Jordan kids appeared on the documentary in part nine or in part 10. I'm sorry. And I'd been wondering where they had been this entire series. I hadn't seen anything from any, any of them, the kids speaking up to that point. I believe there may have been footage of them early on in the documentary series as little kids. But I think this was the first time that we see them speaking about the bulls in part, uh, part 10 of the documentary series. And so you have to think if they had a little snippet in part 10 that they probably were interviewed more than that. And there's probably more dialogue from the Jordan kids, but they chose to just play that snippet of the kids saying that mom wouldn't let them go to the wouldn't go to Utah because at that time, Utah was a really hostile environment, which seems kind of crazy because that doesn't seem to vibe with the feeling that I get of Utah. They don't. Folks in Utah don't seem to be so intense like that, or at least that's what I thought. But there, they show a clip of a woman, a Utah fan, a Utah Jazz fan, like cursing out MJ or cursing out somebody on the Bulls team. They spent time showing the fans and showing how hostile it really was. And I wouldn't think that that would be the case. I, I, I vaguely remember hearing stuff like that as a kid, but to see it on TV in this documentary series, it it must have been a crazy 
feeling to go into the Delta Center in Utah to play the Jazz, uh, who were competitive opponents in and of their own right. I mean, that was a good team, the Utah Jazz in the 90s. So uh, it's a shame that they never won one. It's a shame John Stockton never got a ring, but that team was always legit. But anyways, yeah, the kids were on the documentary series briefly. I had been wondering where they were. I'm wondering where the 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 wife was, the first wife um, of Michael Jordan. I would have loved to have seen her thoughts and hear her thoughts on this, the Bulls and Michael Jordan. And the reason why I'm, I, I feel like they missed an opportunity there is because if MJ's mom is going to be on this, MJ's brother, like you've got people close to MJ speaking about this man, I find it odd that his kids and his wife weren't included in that documentary series because I really would have loved to have seen what it was like having MJ as a dad, having MJ as a partner during that run. And MJ had total control over the direction of this documentary series, so I'm sure that wasn't something that he was going to let fly or he wasn't going to allow but I think they missed an opportunity there to show what it really was like being MJ's partner and I know this wasn't the MJ documentary or that's how it was presented initially but let's be for real this was the MJ documentary a 10-part MJ series featuring Dennis Rodman featuring Scottie Pippen featuring Phil Jackson featuring Jerry Krause like this was really about MJ Let's not let's not cut this any other way. And the fact that you show MJ's upbringing when he's a, a young kid and he's at UNC and the Nike stuff and you know the fact that his mom played a important role in having that actually all go down and really she revolutionized sports marketing and and sports endorsements through that deal with Nike that she begged her son to take that meeting rather. And so I just find it odd that you you really left out a good part of MJ's story and not having his wife or his kids speak about what it's like having this man as their father and as a partner. Because we've just seen in this entire series how much of a competitor MJ was. He is hardcore. He is a competitor. He wants to win at all stakes. He's he's the ultimate competitor. But he also was not the best teammate. And we see this through his interactions with Scott Burrell. And God bless Scott Burrell because it's one thing to live that, you know, in the 90s and to go through that, but then to watch it replayed across the entire world who is locked in a pandemic. Everyone is watching this documentary series and they see how much of a bully Michael Jordan was to Scott Burrell. You have to have a certain level of thick skin to endure it a second time. You know what I mean? Like it's one thing to to live it when there's no one watching, no one knows what's going on behind the scenes, behind the locker room. But then to have that exposed and the family secrets come out to a global audience who is yearning for sports content, that's got to be next level. Like you got to have the ultimate thick skin to get through that. And he seems like a, a sweetheart of a guy. He seemed like a real nice guy. But MJ was not a nice dude. And I'm not talking about hazing or bullying as like a young kid. Certainly, it's it's not appropriate or right at any point in your life to go through that, to be a bully or to endure bullying. It's wrong. But these are grown men. These men are like, what, late 20s, maybe early 30s, and you're enduring bullying in the workplace, dude? Like what? If, if I had a coworker talk 
to me, the way that MJ spoke to Scott Burrell, we'd be, we'd be duking it out. I put, I'd be putting my gloves up for real. And it's, it's, it's just not appropriate. Like, listen, MJ, we are professional athletes. We've achieved a lot in our careers to even be in the NBA. So certainly I'm not saying Scott Burrell is MJ on MJ's level, but you're professional athletes. Like you are a professional in what you do. What's, what's with the hazing? Like that's not necessary. And I think hazing and bullying, that's different than being tough on people, demanding people to rise to your level in practice. Like that's a different thing than bullying. And I don't think it's necessary. I, I just, I don't, I, I guess I don't respond well to uh, negative behavior like that because it's detrimental. It's, it's really not necessary. You can get the most out of people by, you know, you can pushing them, but you don't have to be a bully. I, I find that, uh, I find that just wrong. And of all of the content and all the things that I've seen in this documentary about Michael Jack, uh, Michael Jordan, that's the one part of this documentary that really rubbed me the wrong way. You know, I, I, I appreciated seeing behind the screen and behind the, the locker room, like what it really was like and, and them humanizing MJ, I guess is a good way to put it. But that part really rubbed me the wrong way. And so I just, you know, shout out to Scott Burrell for, for being a man and being able to take it. But I really wonder how he viewed this entire series and what his thoughts are. And I'm sure, I'm sure it's out there. I'm sure somebody has interviewed Scott Burrell and I'm going to go look that up myself after recording this, but I just found that part really interesting. Other than that, I found it interesting that Dennis Rodman went out to Monday Night Nitro (laughs) and he was a part of the NWO. I remember that as a kid because I remember the media talking about that exhaustively, about Dennis Rodman just fleeing the Bulls to go to Monday Night Nitro. And Dennis Rodman, he played hard. He was a hard worker, but he liked to have fun. He played hard. And Dennis Rodman, since we're talking about wrestling and him going to Nitro, Dennis Rodman truly reminds me of Ric Flair. Ric Flair, bombastic, a big personality, a partier, a a womanizer, um... It just this dude that seemed larger than life. I see Rodman as that same guy, or I did in the 90s, where these dudes lived that life. They were about it. They didn't just speak about it. They lived it. They did it. They were about it. And I think there's a lot of people that try to act like they are a certain person or try to act like a certain thing to others. But Dennis Rodman truly was free. And I've been thinking about this a lot, that I think it was in episode three or four, somebody, whether that, I'm trying to think who said this. One of the Bulls players in the interviews was like, Dennis Rodman was free. Like there's nothing holding Dennis Rodman back. And to have that level of freedom and to feel that level of openness where you can just live in your own skin, do whatever you want to do, that is a powerful, powerful feeling. And we are all in some capacity trying to reach that freedom. And I feel like Dennis Rodman could live his life the way that he did because it, it seemed like he wasn't worried about what people thought about him. It wasn't worried about he wasn't worried about sponsors or losing sponsors. And I find it interesting in this time that we live in now, we have Twitter nonstop. We have the social media. And so every misstep that a player makes is scrutinized forever. It's there's a record of that. And so if they say something that doesn't vibe with the overall feeling um, or the overall perception of what things should be like, they come under fire for that. They come under scrutiny for that. And they, in result, they could lose sponsorship. But Dennis Rodman did this in a time without social media. 
he literally was a free bird. And there was the cameras, you know, from the news and, and ESPN and all this following him. But it didn't matter to Dennis Rodman. He just lived in his own skin. He did his own thing. He worked extremely hard, was a great player. My favorite player of all time, Dennis Rodman, because he gave it his all. And when the game was over or when practice was done, he was out of there. He was doing his own thing and he needed that. He needed that escape. And I just, I find Dennis Rodman to be a very interesting, interesting person. And I mean, and they didn't even go into the Kim Jong-un stuff. You know, I know this is about the 98 Bulls, but like the fact that he is friends with Kim Jong-un, who I think is dead now, or is he alive? I, I don't know. I don't know really what happened with that. But Dennis Rodman is an interesting dude, and he seemed like a sweetheart of a guy himself. I was expecting to see crazier from him, but he seemed like a dedicated player. He was at practice, um, you know, when he was not in Vegas or partying with the uh, NWO. But like he seemed like he was committed to the Bulls and they knew they knew how to interact with Dennis Rodman and they knew how to get the most out of him. And shout out to Phil Jackson for being a G, because I just don't think that that type of um, type of relationship exists these days between athletes and the coaches and the front office. Like they were fully on board with allowing Dennis Rodman to just do what he needs to do because he always showed up. He always produced. So I found that really interesting. But overall, I really enjoyed this series. I thought it was interesting getting the behind the scenes view of Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls and their run for their uh, sixth ring. And so I got my buddy Casey Kane. I got him uh, on the mic here. And I want to hear his thoughts on what he thought overall about the series. And so I'm going to toss it over to Casey so that you can hear his thoughts on this tremendous series that is The Last Dance. I did finish up episodes 9 and 10 last night. I got to say, as a Chicago guy, me and Andre are Chicago kids growing up in uh, the suburbs there. I did enjoy reliving a lot of the moments. Uh, Overall, the documentary was spectacular. It was something that we all needed, obviously, because there's no live sports right now. I got to say, I'm 33 years old, so the first Three Pete, I don't remember too much. I just remember basically my memories of the Bulls started in 93 because Jordan had just retired when I moved to the Naperville, the Chicago suburbs from uh, Rhode Island. And I remember that John Paxson sinking that game winning three was on the phone book. And uh, I'd go to the Lyle Library there in the western suburbs, and I would rent the little VHS tapes, and I learned all about that three-peat. And then, of course, I enjoyed Michael Jordan's comeback, and then the th- the, the final three-peat I have very vivid memories of. So I just, I mean, it wasn't like I watched that documentary to learn anything new. It was really just pure entertainment and reliving some of those incredible memories. And, of course some of my most vivid memories as a a fan of the Bulls would be sitting there in my living room watching Michael Jordan drain that sick game-winning shot in game one of the 1997 NBA Finals. People always talk about how Jordan made that crucial game, you know, game six winner. But, you know, every game matters in in a tight series like that. And in 1997, in game one, Jordan knocking down that crucial jumper at the buzzer to beat the Jazz was so sick. 
So, I mean, they brought that memory back to me. And, of course, Jordan nailing the shot in 98 against Brian Russell at the Delta Center in Utah was an incredible moment in sports. And John Stockton missing the game winner on the other end. Wow, I forgot that Stockton had missed the game winner potentially descended to a game seven. So again, it was just reliving these incredible memories. And my my favorite, honestly, moments of the whole documentary, and I know that Andre would echo this sentiment, is anytime they profiled Rodzilla, Dennis Rodman. I mean, I think as as like I don't know what he was thinking, but like Bill Simmons sent out a tweet like to troll or to get attention or whatever. I usually like Bill Simmons, but he sent out something saying that like, why are we pretending that Dennis Rodman is interesting? Like (sighs) Dennis Rodman is the most interesting player in NBA history. And it's like not even close. I mean, Rodman was his own one man show. Everything about the guy was a reality television show before reality TV. And when Rodman left in the middle of the 1998 finals to go hang out with Hollywood Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff in the New World Order NWO crew to uh, fight against Diamond Dallas Page, that is the most epic thing ever. Like, I remember that summer so well. I remember that um, Carl Malone and Rodman were like rivals in the WCW, but I did not remember that he left in the middle of the series to go do a wrestling event in Auburn Hills, Michigan. Like how hilarious is that? And the best part of that whole situation to me was Phil Jackson having his back. Cause Phil Jackson is the ultimate like psychological master he he knew that to get the best from Rodman, he had to let Rodman be Rodman. And he gave Rodman that room to go out to, to Michigan and not really and go wrestle and not really get into any trouble. Like, because Phil just understood that he was going to get his all from Rodman if he would just let Rodman be Rodman. And that was so cool because I'm obviously a huge wrestling fan. Me and Andre Cherry are both huge pro wrestling fans. Uh, me more so back in the day, like I love 90s and 80s wrestling, but um, I don't really watch it too much anymore. But um, man, that was cool when Rodman was, he just he just showed that he was the ultimate entertainer and I love him. I think that's so cool. And I love how Phil Jackson had his back against the media. He was just like, some, a reporter asked Phil, you know, do you have a problem with um with what Dennis is is becoming a distraction to the series. And Phil snaps back and goes, I don't have a problem with it. It sounds like the media has a problem with it. And the truth is, everything worked out. They got the sixth title, and Rodzilla went on to wrestle that summer against <laughs> Carl Malone in the ring. And uh, and uh, I think they had a pay-per-view over at Hog Wild. I think was the name of the pay-per-view that they ended up meeting at. But... I also say I remember that series against the Indiana Pacers fondly because the Bulls were famously only taken to Game 7 two times in their six championship runs. They were taken to a Game 7, I believe, in 1993 against the New York Knicks, or 1992 it might have been, and then they were taken to a Game 7 against Larry Bird's Indiana Pacers. And that 1998 Indiana Pacers team was a force to be reckoned with. They were so deep. They had like two, they call them the Davis brothers. They had Rick Smiths out there. They had a young Jalen Rose. 
they had of course my man Reggie Miller who was like when Reggie Miller was hot there was not a hotter player on the planet I mean Reggie anything he touched was a swish for a while so I really enjoyed reliving that series I remember being very nervous as a Bulls fan that the Bulls were not going to make it past Indiana but you know that that soul of a champion uh, that Michael Jordan had he he refused to let them lose that one and I thought Larry Bird was such a good coach too he only coached for a short time but I think he took the Pacers to an NBA finals with that which they would lose against the Lakers and also of course that epic 1998 season so I enjoyed reliving those uh, Indiana Pacer highlight and they had some wild fans at that Market Square Arena huh and the fans in in the in uh, Utah were ooh, I mean those fans are brutal they, they said that uh, Michael Jordan's kids were scared to even go to the games so that was my good friend Casey Kane he has his own podcast series as well and you can find Casey and you can follow him on Twitter at Clear Contender. And Casey has a podcast series called The Characters of Boxing Podcast. It's a fascinating look at the characters within the history of boxing, the sport of boxing. And it's a really tremendous series. I've been a part of that for a few uh, podcast episodes. And I can't wait to get back on the mic with my dear friend Casey Kane once we're out of this pandemic. So with that, I want to thank you all for downloading this episode. Thank you for listening to this episode that featured the last dance in the Chicago Bulls. The Bulls in the 90s have a very special place in my heart, and they are my team forever. And I've really enjoyed this series, and I can't wait to have live sports again. This has been a nice little break from reality, this series. Um, It's taken my mind off of things for two hours each night. And so it is kind of sad to see the series end with episode 10. But hopefully we'll have sports at some point soon. It's looking like schools and businesses are trying to get back to some bit of normalcy. I would love to dive into that on another podcast episode here soon in the near future. But until then, please stay safe. Please wash your hands. Please social distance and please love and take care of one another because we'll get through this at some point and we will be back to watching sports and enjoying each other's company sometime in the near future is my hope. But with that, thank you all for downloading this show. I appreciate it, and I cannot wait to talk to you again real, real soon. Take care, everybody. We've been working hard all year to bring the championship back to Chicago. We're not there yet, so we're still counting all of your support. Rodman shoots from the head of the key and connects. Even he has to say, hey, go figure. Just like last time, we're all in this together. If we win, our way our achievements will start in dignity. This is Chicago's moment to shine. Let's show the world how to do it right. Thank you again for tuning into my Cherry Picking Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode... Please feel free to subscribe to my show and drop me a rating on Apple Podcasts. All of my digital content can be found at the website cherrypickingsports.com. And if you are looking to interact with me via social media, my Twitter handle is at cherry underscore pickin. That's P-I-C-K-I-N. On my Twitter, you'll also find a link to my blog where I post my weekly college football predictions and analysis. I can also be reached via email at cherrypickinsports at gmail.com. Please feel free to reach out to me regarding what you like about this podcast or about what content you'd like to hear more of on future episodes. I sincerely thank you for your support, and I can't wait to talk to you again soon. Take care.